Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, any expression of our love for you is only a response to the overwhelming, unending, unrelenting love that you have for each of us and for your world. So as we gather around your word now, would you allow for each of us to experience just how deeply you do love? And then meet us with that love and send us out to be the kind of people the world needs us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. pose a couple of questions that I hope will guide us through the morning. What do you trust when you trust? Give yourself a moment to reflect. What do you trust when you trust? What do you do if you trust? And what can you expect as you trust? If you're picking up on it, this is going to be a sermon about trust. (laughs) Faith, that's what the younger ones were just inviting us into when they stood here and recited the Apostles' Creed. I offered to one younger one uh, my worship folder so that he could read it just in case maybe he didn't know the words. He said, I don't need that. Okay. <laughs> the Apostles' Creed alongside the Nicene and Athanasian Creed, they make up what's called the ecumenical creeds. Basically, anyone who self-describes as Christian adheres to the three creeds. I mean, you can say no creed but Christ, no law but love, but if you disenfranchise yourself from what is stated in those three creeds, you're basically stepping away from what Orthodox Christianity has agreed for 2,000 years. The Apostles' Creed, you just recited at the Nicene Creed, that's the the doctrine of Christology, Jesus both fully God and fully human. How does that work? Check out the Creed. Uh, The Athanasian Creed, the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. We can immerse ourselves in these creeds. We can stand up on a Sunday and recite them, and I think we should. I think they're important to do, but we, we could do all of that and still not plumb the depths of faith. Trust. It's far more than an intellectual assent to some things Christians have agreed are true. When the world around you is crumbling and your heart is breaking and your relationships are floundering, few of us turn to a creed. Are you with me? When, when your child was diagnosed, did you say, hey, why, why don't we gather around here and recite the Apostles' Creed? I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to dismiss it. I'm just saying faith is so much more than just an intellectual agreement to a certain set of things. It's a trust. Now I'm actually just borrowing from the Heidelberg Catechism to make things ironic. It's a certain knowledge and a wholehearted trust. What do you trust when you trust? What do you do if you trust? And what can you expect when you trust? 
the, the whole Bible, the New Testament particularly, and the Gospels specifically, they invite us into trust. This wholehearted trust. So I want you to listen with me to a set of stories. It's in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. I just want you to listen for now. We'll look uh, in just a few minutes. And as you're, as you're, as you're listening, if, I want you to wonder, to your, what do I trust when I trust? What do I do if I trust, and what can I expect as I trust? Listen, listen to these stories. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard it were astonished. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done through his hands? Is not this the carpenter? The, the, the son of Mary? The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could do no deeds of power among them, except that he laid his hands on a few who were sick and cured them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. He went about among the villages teaching and he called the disciples to himself and he sent them out two by two and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He ordered them not to take anything with them except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, to wear sandals but to not put on two tunics. He said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave. If they do not welcome you and refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. King Herod heard of it because... Jesus' name had become known. And some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead. Others saying, it is Elijah. Others, one of the prophets, like the prophets of old. But Herod, when he heard it, said, this is John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod sent, sent men to arrest John. To, they bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he married her. John kept saying to him, it is not lawful for you to marry your brother's wife. And Herodias held a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she couldn't because Herod feared him, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he protected him. 
When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, but he liked listening to him. An opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, put on a great banquet and invited the courtiers and the officials and the leaders of Galilee. And his daughter Herodias came in and danced before him. And the king and his guests were pleased. And Herod said to her, I will give you whatever you ask. He, he, he swore a solemn oath to her. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and she asked her mother, what, what should I ask for? And she said, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately she came back in and she said, give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now Herod was grieved, but out of regard for his oath and his guests, he did not refuse her. And he sent a soldier of the guard who went to the prison and beheaded John. And he brought his head on a platter and he gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard it, they came and took his body and laid him in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Mark 6, 1 through 29, if you want to find it near you. I should probably apologize to the parents who have their younger ones here. Mark is inviting us deeper and deeper into faith. What do you trust when you trust? What do you do if you trust? And what can you expect as you trust? What do you trust when you trust? Have you ever stopped to think about that? What do you actually trust when you trust? It's, these stories, they're fascinating. Jesus himself, who just the chapter before, if you wanted to look back, has just raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead is now in his hometown and is unable to do certain things because of their unbelief. Fascinating to me. Makes me quite uncomfortable, actually, to, to think that somehow our faith is in some way responsible for certain things happening. How does that work? And this isn't the first time in Mark's gospel it shows up. Just, just the, the, wom the woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years, your faith has made you well. Makes me very uncomfortable. I don't want to be responsible for that sort of outcome. Then the next story, you get the disciples, they go out and they're healing all kinds of people. And then you get the story of John the Baptist, he's beheaded. What, the, the, the outcomes are so divergent. What is going on? What is happening? What do you trust when you trust? I wonder sometimes if we... If we trust, our trust is actually in an expected outcome. We reduce the gospel of faith to a sort of transaction, a contractual relationship. I'll, I'll trust you, by which I mean you have to do certain things for me, God. God. 
However, as Mark unfolding the story, in two different places, the people around Jesus are asking, who is this guy? What sort of wisdom has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done through his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? That's the first time. And then the second time, it's Herod. Is it John the Baptist or is it Elijah or one of the prophets? What do you trust when you trust? The Christian faith does not ask us to trust an outcome, a product, a deliverable, but rather a person. A person who is the reflection of God in the world, who is the presence of God in the world, who puts God's heart on full display in the world, a heart so full of love, he sent his son into the world to suffer and die, only to rise again to overcome sin and death and pain and brokenness in every version of its forms. Because he loves you. That's what you trust when you trust. I'm just going to give you a moment this morning to recalibrate Are you with me? Uh, now here's the second question. What do you do if you trust? Now y'all are thinking about your week. I've got plenty to do, Pastor. Don't give me anything more to do, Pastor. What do you do if you trust? Jesus calls the twelve. This is verse 7. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. Does that sound at all like another story in some other place in the Bible? It's sort of a faint whisper of an echo, maybe, just maybe, of Exodus. Moses with his staff. And every day they woke up without bread, and there it was, take Take only a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belt. Is Mark announcing Jesus Christ is the deliverer? This is a deliverance story. It's also fascinating. These, these stories are almost exactly paralleled. First, in uh, verse 2, you get the crowds in his hometown asking, who is this? And then in verse 14, you get... Herod and those crowds asking the same thing. Who is this, essentially? You see the, the similarities? Verses 2 to verse 14. And then Jesus sends people out. That's verse 7. So does Herod. He sends out a soldier. Uh, that's verse 14. No, 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 no. Verse 17. Then he orders them to take nothing... Whereas Herod says to Herodias, ask, whatever you ask, I'll give you. Then he says, if they refuse to hear you, and then Mark adds about Herodias, he did not refuse her. Do you see the parallels? This, I'm just kind of geeking out on like exegesis here, so just I'll get back with you here shortly. The disciples God and many are cured. John the Baptist is beheaded. These, these two stories are parallel. They're laid right next to each other as a way of inviting us. What do you do when you trust? You offer your life as a life-giving presence for the world. That's what you do when you trust. To invert the gospel, to make it about you and what you get and what you have and what you can accumulate is a misunderstanding of the gospel of Christ. You, rather, you offer your life. Uh, who is that? Uh, forgetting the name now. Oh, yeah, C.S. Lewis. 
I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. (laughs) G.K. Chesterton, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. What do you do when you trust? You offer your life as a generative, life-giving presence in the world. That's what you do when you trust. And now you're looking at me like, Pastor, Pastor, but I'm tired. I have, it's winter break and I'm slammed with books and tests. Pastor, Pastor, my kids, they're running me ragged. Pastor, Pastor, the job, I'm working. Pastor, don't ask me to do more. Don't ask me to try harder. Don't tell me to be better. I'm trying, Pastor, I'm trying. And you show up on Sunday and John says, send them out two by two. Couple of you at LJ's, others to Ferris, downtown, let's go. What if it's more nuanced than that? What if the invitation to be a life-giving presence in the world isn't just about a bunch of us doing more? What if it's an invitation to be more where we are, to be a life-giving presence? If God is calling you to India, go. But maybe God is calling you to the rec basketball game at noon on Saturday. Maybe God is calling you to go home for dinner on time. Maybe God is calling you to listen carefully to your roommate who's struggling. Maybe maybe this isn't about another thing to do, but an invitation to be. Is that that possible? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., iconic American figure, changed the face of the landscape in America. Uh, There was an article in CNN uh, about MLK a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you, you remember the I Have a Dream speech? You don't remember the I Have a Dream speech? <laughs> this remarkable speech that, I mean, a bunch of us could probably recite chunks of it right now. He was not actually intending to give that speech that day. He'd, he'd given it in Detroit weeks earlier. Why that one didn't get all the notoriety, I don't know. Someone, as, as he was offering this speech, uh, was it on the Washington Mall? He's offering this speech and he's kind of uncomfortable with the way it's going, much like me right now, sort of <laughs> uncomfortable with the way it's going. And then someone behind him shouts to him, Martin, tell him about the dream. Tell him about the dream, Martin. And he shifts gears and he offers this speech that's changed American history, all because he listened. The article is all about the secret of MLK Jr. is his ability to listen. Maybe we could try that on. Maybe we could just try that. Just listen. Be attentive. Be present. Be available. Be a life-giving presence. What do you trust when you trust? What do you do if you trust? And what can you expect as you trust? The story of King Herod and Herodias and John the Baptist, it's just, it's, it's bad. 
It's, I mean, it's bad. And it ends simultaneously, both sadly and as a whisper, an, a, a pre-echo of what would one day be. It ends like this. This is verse 29. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Does that sound like anything the Gospels might write about? They came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. What you can expect when you trust is not an outcome in this circumstance, in this situation for me right now. But rather, you can expect to be wrapped up in a much larger story that God is unfolding in the world. A death to resurrection story, a mourning to joy story, a despair to song story. That's the story of the gospel. That's what you can expect. Will it always go well for me every time? Well, some were healed in Mark 6 and some weren't and John the Baptist was killed. But rather, you're launched into this deeper unfolding salvation drama that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ who entered into the world, who suffered and died, and then rose again. They laid him in the tomb, and he came up alive again, wrapping our lives in his until that great day when everything is made right and everything is made new, when finally the lion and the lamb lie down together, when finally death will be no more, mourning and crying in pain, no more. Finally, all things will be made new. That's what you can expect when you trust. You get launched into a deeper, more glorious reality than you can ever imagine. So maybe you're here today and you have not yet been able to say, all right, okay, I don't have all the questions answered. And there are lots of really good questions, important questions. Maybe, maybe some past pain in your life keeps you from the place of faith. I want to invite you today I want to invite you to the place of trust. Open your life to the unfolding story of God's salvation in the world. And maybe the table will be the place for you. Maybe it'll be the moment you open yourself to the possibility God might just possibly, maybe, be doing a new thing. Amen? Let's pray together. Gracious God, what do we trust? If we're honest with ourselves, we probably trust in our capacity. We probably trust our work ethic. We probably trust our resources. We probably trust a lot of things. All of them gifts, but not the thing itself. So, so open our hearts and our spirits to trust you, Christ, you from whom all blessings flow. Reorient any of us who walked in the sanctuary saying, I'm full of faith. Reorient our faith to you, Christ, and, and open any of us who showed up today not quite sure at all. Open us to your person and purposes today so that we can be a life-giving presence in the world and meet us at the table, offer life here at the table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.